for those who don't know, my name is uh, Pete. And I'm privileged enough to be allowed to speak every so often from the front. And it's also uh, my great joy to lead a small group. And I also, my favorite thing is I get to put the chairs out once a month, which is my favorite thing to help out in church. But for the next uh, few minutes, uh, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you. And I just wanted to begin with a question. I'm wondering if anybody knows the name Cameron Russell. Do you know who Cameron Russell is? No. The, here's a photo. She is a supermodel. And this is a picture of Cameron Russell. And she has earned over $6 million from her good looks, from her time on the catwalk. Just $6 million for just looking beautiful. And I can imagine that would make her feel really good about herself. I mean, the only time anyone's ever offered me anything to do with my good looks is when they offered me the paper bag to go over my head. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. But back to Cameron Russell. As well as it being beautiful, she also has this degree in economics and political science. Now, if that isn't enough, she did a nine-minute TED Talk titled, Looks Aren't Everything, Believe Me, I'm a Supermodel. And this TED Talk has been viewed over 50 million times. And at the end of her talk, she asks the question, or what's it like to be a supermodel? What's it like to be a model? And she says there's two kind of possible answers. There's the answer you kind of give in the interview, which is, well, I get to travel to amazing places. I get to go around the world. I get to work with amazingly creative people. But then she says this other answer, because what people are really asking is, if you're so stunning, you really have everything, don't you? And she says that if you listen to a group of models backstage, she says that possibly she would say models are the most physically insecure people on the planet. She says that she obsesses what she looks like every single day. And I think maybe she's onto something here because the idea that kind of enters my mind is if I had that kind of beauty, then all my insecurities would vanish. And what Cameron Russell is saying is, what if you're chasing something? Something that you're just not going to be able to catch. What if you're chasing something and as soon as you think you've got it, it slips through your fingers? Now this idea of chasing something is, is not new. About 900 years before the, the birth of Jesus, one of the kings of Israel, King Solomon, wrote in a book called Ecclesiastes, a phrase that he used again and again and again. He said it's meaningless. It's Chasing after the wind. I mean, think of a little child running in the park and it's kind of autumn and they're trying to just catch the wind. Jumping up in the air, trying to grab it and they bring it back to you and there's nothing there. And what I want us to look for at for the next few minutes are what I want to call the confessions of a wind chaser. The confessions of a wind chaser. So confession number one. He talks about chasing pleasure. 
King Solomon, or the person writing as if they're representing wealthy King Solomon, launches into chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes with these words. I said to myself, come, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. What he's saying is I'm going to throw myself at absorbing, at drinking in as much pleasure as I possibly can. And I think that through seeking pleasure, I think that by chasing pleasure, that I'll find it. That I will find meaning through pleasure. That I will find it. And he carries on by saying, I, I tried cheering myself up with wine. Now this guy not only had a, a kind of good bottles of wine, he had a, a huge kind of wine cellar equivalent. And he set his heart on emptying his wine cellar. I tried myself, cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly. My mind is still guiding me with wisdom. Now this last bit's quite important. He's, for what he's saying, I just didn't check my brain out here. It's not that I got myself so drunk that I couldn't think of anything. It's I was still introspective throughout the whole process. I was still thoughtful throughout this whole time. I was analyzing what I was chasing. I was analyzing what this pleasure actually did for me. My mind is still guiding me. My mind is still looking for wisdom. And so he's drinking himself. He drinks himself through his wine cellar. So is there anything else? And he's like, yeah. He says, I undertook great projects. I built for myself. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. So we've got this man. And he's building these massive projects. These great houses and palaces. And each of those homes is intricately decorated on the inside. And there's intricate landscaping on the outside. Fruit trees, orchards. I mean, sounds great, doesn't it? And he goes on and he says, I amass silver and gold for myself and treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. This is because there was no radio or anything at the time. So he had a live band for him every time. And a harem or harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. And we have this picture here of a man and there's no limit at all to his entertainment options. We could be asking him, did you hold yourself back in any way? Did you restrain yourself at all? And, and he's like, no. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. What he's saying is I went all in, in chasing it down. So did he catch it? Did he catch it with his houses, his vineyards, his orchards, his live bands, his wine, his women? Did he catch it? He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, 
everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I was chasing it, but I just couldn't catch it. And then the writer shifts our focus to a different topic, his second confession, and he says, I was also chasing wisdom. He says, and we're still in this book of Ecclesiastes, he says, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also a madness and folly. And he's saying, I tried to live introspectively. I tried to take a philosophical approach to analyze everything, to overanalyze everything. He was saying, I, I tried to go through life not in a brainless sort of way, but I wanted to evaluate everything I was doing and then evaluate it again. Maybe this evaluating, this logic, this reasoning, maybe that is it. Our understanding of the world around us, maybe that is the it. That whatever we're experiencing, we're using our brain to rationalize, to think, and we're going, yes, is this it? Is this wisdom approach the it? The purpose? And so we ask King Solomon, well, King Solomon, did you catch it? And this is his summary. I said to myself, this too is something I couldn't hang on to. This too is meaningless. Well, why, why is this not the it? Why is man's grasp for knowledge not the it? And he says, well, because of this. He says the cemetery. He says the cemetery is like the great equalizer. I can live as wisely as I can live, but in the end, it doesn't matter. As I was thinking about this, I read an article about this man, James Clerk Maxwell. Don't anyone heard of him? A few people, good, good. He was voted the third greatest scientist of all time, and he's Scottish, so therefore he really possibly should be a little bit higher. <laughs> the third greatest scientist of all time behind Newton and Einstein. In fact, Einstein attributed all his own success to Maxwell, so much so that he kept a copy of Maxwell's photo on his desk. But despite his great intelligence, and you can look it up later. I tried to read some of, I didn't understand a word that he was meant to have achieved. But despite his great intelligence, this is where he's buried. In an old, unkept kirkyard in Scotland. In a Dumfries and Galloway village. Just next to everybody else. So listen to the confession in Ecclesiastes. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. Like the fool, the wise too must die. We all end up in the same place. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, it's cheery. But we're not finished yet. 
And you might be going, oh, please stop. I don't want any more. Please stop. <laughs> but you see, this is the purpose of the writer. He's writing in a tone and he's writing with a ferocity that's meant to jolt us. It's meant to awaken us. It's meant to unsettle us. So one more confession. Chasing work. And this is what he says about work. He says, I hated, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And you see, I've highlighted that. Who knows? Who knows whether this person will be wise or foolish? I mean, who knows where all this stuff I've acquired and worked for? Who knows what it's going to be like or who it's going to go to? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to pour my life into work. I'm going to pour myself into building a future for my family. I'm going to build something and then it's going to go into the hands of somebody else. And who knows how they will look after it? Who knows what is going to happen? Who knows? I build this empire. I build this business. I build all of this that I work towards. And who knows what the next person is going to do with it all? This really was not a happy thought for King Saul. He says, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who, my paraphrase, who didn't stink and work for it, who has not toiled for it. And he says, this too is meaningless and a great misfortune. And you see, King Solomon, the king of Israel, he built this kingdom. And when he died, his son, his son Rehoboam became the new king. And Rehoboam isn't the best or wisest of rulers. And a civil war happens. And the kingdom breaks up. It's split in two. And all that Solomon had spent his life building up is destroyed. And Solomon was unable to control it. Beyond the grave. Solomon built up a kingdom. And his son split the kingdom. And yet we chase things at work. We chase that promotion. We chase that title. We chase and we chase and we chase. But we can't catch it. So there you have it. The confessions of a wind chaser. Thank you very much. No, I'm not going to stop there. <laughs> you know, because these confessions are not just written to us. They're not just written for us to read. But they're written about us. For we spend our time chasing after the wind. Chasing after it. So I've got to ask you, what are you chasing? If only I was wildly successful. 
If only I was independently wealthy. If only, if only I was stunningly attractive. Well, then maybe I would have it. Yeah? Maybe you're chasing something and you just, you're never going to catch it. If only I was known. If only I was loved. If only I was invited. I mean, why is it I'm never on that list? I never seem to get invited. Because if I was loved, if I was known, if I was invited, then, then I would have it. But what if you're chasing something you're never going to catch? If only I was published, if only I was recognized, if only I were discovered. And this was written about 900 years before the time of Jesus. So King Solomon didn't really have much to help him get out of this downward spiral. And King Solomon is telling us again and again that he kept trying to fill an empty space with something, but he was never satisfied. But we have the advantage of being able to look back on the coming of Christ and the cross of Christ and see that he is the filler of that empty space that Ecclesiastes describes. You know, Jesus made many powerful statements, but he made this amazing one. He said, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it to the full, that they can have an abundant life, an overflowing life. And isn't that so different to Ecclesiastes? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it to the max, turned right up. What a contrast, this full life to this empty, meaningless life. What best describes your life? Is it full or is it empty? And you know what I also think is fascinating? Because in some ways there's another confession of a, somebody who's chasing. For God is also somebody who chases. Because God chases after you. Jesus tells a story about a man who has a hundred sheep. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And in this story, Jesus is the shepherd. And the shepherd could only think of one thing. The missing sheep. The missing lost sheep controls his every thought. He can't eat, he can't go home, he can't rest while that one sheep is lost. So he leaves the 99 to find the one. You know, he doesn't just sit back and wait for the sheep to return. No, he chases the sheep. For his greatest desire is for that sheep to be found again. And Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. 
And God pursues us. He chases us. In fact, the whole story of the Bible is one of God just chasing after us. You know, I remember being small and playing chase with my dad. I remember running around the front room when my mother was out, obviously. And of course, any time you wanted, my dad could have caught me. Could have caught me and overpowered me. But he allowed me my freedom just running around. But then at some point, I would get caught. And we'd roll around giggling and laughing as I'm caught in his arms. Yes, it was a chase, but we both knew. The real point of it was for me to end up in his arms. And my friends, you can chase after it, but it will leave you empty. The purpose is for you to end up in the arms of a loving father. And when we chase the wind, we're just running the opposite way from God. So why don't you stop running? God is pursuing you, wanting a relationship with you. Not to condemn you, just to embrace you and to love you. We have the confessions of a wind chaser, but we have the longing of a God. If the worship team could come back up. Let's just take a moment, just close our eyes, and maybe as the worship team come to, to lead us in some songs, just maybe if you're comfortable, close your eyes for a second or two and think, what is it you're actually chasing? I know for me, I feel like I'm chasing work so much these days, and sometimes it feels like work is chasing me. What are we chasing? And in the silence, ask yourself, honestly, is it satisfying? Does it satisfy? And maybe as Anthony and the team lead us in song, you could think about asking God, catch me, embrace me, show me your love. Thank you.